wasn't that good. It's about the cross. It's about the Lord Jesus. It's about him dying for us in our place. We should have died, but we couldn't. You know, even if we do die for our sin, it won't pay for it. But the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, can cleanse us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Appreciate Matt reading for us. Appreciate when we read the word of God and we can follow along and read it together. You know, when the, the uh, Bible was first translated into English for the English people to be able to read, it was put into the hands of the common people so they could read. They hadn't had it. And when they finally got it, the ploughmen and the washerwomen could read the word of God and they rejoiced in, in England. And brethren, we want to rejoice this morning that we can read God's word together and rejoice together about the blood of Jesus. All right, let's pray together. And I particularly pray this morning for Heather, Heather Byers, and also our good friend uh, Gilbert. They're both not with us this morning, as you know, and not able to be with us at the moment. And let's pray particularly for them in their sickness and in their old age and and uh, for um, others that are ill as well, that can't be with us, that would like to be with us, Annette's husband, Ted, as well. And if you think of somebody, you pray for them, won't you? You know, I can't think of everybody, but you think of them and you pray for them as I do, as we remember our good friend Trish too, as... uh, We did for those many years until she passed away and went with the Lord. She's rejoicing in the presence of the Lord this morning. And she's waiting for when we come to be with her as well. And uh, so let's pray for others that are ill this morning. Heavenly Father, as we just rejoice, as we gather together as your people in this place, we just want to thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the blood of Jesus which cleanses us from all sin. And Lord, we come to you this morning and we want to uh, lift up our sister, um, Heather. We want to lift up Gilbert. We want to lift up Ted to you. And Lord, you know each one that's on the heart of your people this morning that's not well, not able to be with us. Some that are with us that are very sick and We lift them up to you in our thoughts and we ask for your grace, Lord, for your strength for them day by day, just for your enabling, for your relief for them in their suffering. Lord, our scriptures told us this morning that think of those in their adversity because we're in the body. As they feel adversity, we feel it. So, Lord, we lift these ones up to you this morning and pray your blessing upon them, your strength to them, your grace to them. Lord, help them, each one, to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured the shame, and is now seated at your right hand.
So, Lord, we just want to thank you. We commit our pastor to you and Cassie this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the message from them, and we do pray you'd rescue them out of the snow and bring them back to us. We commit them to you. Pray you bless them, use them mightily in the last couple of days that they're there in America, and while they're with the Murphys, we pray your blessing upon them and that blessing on that church also. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We're not going to look at the whole chapter this morning, but I wanted it to be read right the way through in its entirety. And I don't know whether I've ever preached out of Hebrews before. I can't remember that I have. I would have quoted bits out of it, but and I've gone straight to the end. Well, let's just go to the end. We'll cover the whole lot. Well, not really. It's just, it's a deep book. Hebrews is a great book, but it's a deep book. We don't know who wrote it. Many say it was Paul, and I personally think it was, because who else could have written a 13-chapter uh, tome and then say he just wrote a few words? It says in there, you know, the, one of the last verses there, I've written a letter unto you in few words. Well, Paul was pretty wordy, wasn't he? But anyway, it wasn't, if it wasn't Paul, that's fine. I don't, I don't mind who the author was, but he wrote to Hebrews and we don't even know who these Hebrews were, just where they were, but they were Hebrews, obviously, Jewish people somewhere, perhaps scattered in the dispersion. We don't know whether the book was written before AD 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed. We get sort of a bit of an inkling about perhaps it was afterwards because he mentions the fact we have no continuing city here but we seek one to come. Perhaps Jerusalem had been raised at that point. You know, the Jews particularly had a lot of, put a a lot of stock in Jerusalem, the fact of the place of Jerusalem. And we know that the Lord is going to come back there and establish Jerusalem once more as the the, uh, centre pivot of the whole world. But right now it's not. And then it perhaps wasn't. Uh, Perhaps if the book was written after 70 AD, But if it hadn't been destroyed, it was about to be. It perhaps wasn't long before Titus raised Jerusalem. And that inkling is that, you know, we have no continuing city here. And brethren, we might think and pause for just a moment this morning and think of those in Townsville that this week have suffered greatly because of floods. Just think of them this morning. I said to Rhonda as we were waking up, and Rhonda's not with us this morning, she's gone to be with one of uh, our daughters and their, their baby, our granddaughter, is being dedicated this morning. So that's why she's not here. But uh, we're just thinking, you know, I wouldn't want to be in Townsville this morning, you know, in the heat and the smell. I don't know if you've been in a flooded place afterwards, but it's awful, isn't it? When the mar- well, well, you know what it's like in Brisbane here when we had the floods here back few years ago and the middle of Brisbane flooded and the smell is awful, just awful. The clean-up takes days and then the, the uh, carpentry work that's got to go on to re- re- repair those houses that are repairable, many that aren't after a flood has been through. So we might pause for them and think of them this morning and our brethren there. I haven't heard any particular stories but I know there's brethren in Townsville. And as our scripture says here, you know, Uh, remember them, remember them that are in bonds and bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. We feel for others that are in adversity. 
But that's not the verse I want to concentrate on this morning. The verse I want to think about particularly this morning is verse number five. You know, it's an interesting chapter, this chapter. It seems to be like whoever the writer is, and I'm going to say Paul, but whoever the writer is, is trying to wind up and he just can't get there, you know. The re- you know, Hebrews up to, to here has, has been speaking about Jesus being better than many things, better than angels, better than offerings, better than high priests and all many things about the, which particularly the Hebrew people, the Jewish people would know about. And these Jewish believers are sort of grappling with the fact that there's change from the fact of the, the system of sacrifices that they sort of hung to and believed that, you know, uh, that took away their sin and it did for a time, but it couldn't take away with, for, with it forever until Jesus came. When Jesus came and Hebrews tells us that he gave one offering for sin and then he sat down at the right hand of God and it's finished, finished. And the book of Hebrews is all about that, about Jesus being better than the offerings and better than the angels and better than the high priest and he's the great high priest. And uh, then we come to Hebrews 11 and we have the hall of faith and all the example of the great, the great warriors of the faith and praise the Lord for talk, singing this morning about the battle. We are in a battle. It's a battle until we get to glory. It's a battle this side of heaven. But the, Hebrew, the heroes of the faith sort of encourage us, don't they? As we read through Hebrews 11, and we're not going to do that this morning, but then we get to Hebrews 12 and and it says, Wherefore, seeing we have such a great uh, cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And and, uh, and then he sort of gets down a bit of nitty-gritty in Hebrews 12 and he says, Beware, though, lest a root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And so practical, you know, the Bible is, isn't it? So pointed to us, so good for us to sort of see, sort of, you know, rises us up, but then brings us down to realise, hang on, there's some nitty-gritties that we've got to face, every one of us, day by day. Oh, yes, I have my heroes of the faith, but brethren, they struggled just like you and I did. They went through the same feelings, the same temptations, the same testings that you and I have gone, are going through and they won. They came through. They're there, recorded for us as uh, heroes of the faith. But then it says to us, well, you're still here though. You're still here. You're still on this earth. So look under Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, Hebrews 13. We get to Hebrews 13, the end of the chapter, and it seems like the author's just trying to wrap it up, but he, but he just thinks of another thing to throw in. And many of these verses, you sort of think, well, that's random, you know. That's sort of a throw in, you know, random. And, and uh, then finally, he sort of, he gives the great uh, doxology in verse 20 and 21 and, and uh, think, well, now he's wound up and then he can't, he still hasn't wound up. He goes on a few, couple more verses. And finally, he says, amen, amen. But oh, what a great doxology that is. And you're probably thinking, well, he's going to preach about that verse, isn't he, this morning? But I'm not. I'm going to preach about verse 5. Verse 5. Let your conversation 
be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Let your conversation. Conversation here means our life. Means our behaviour. Means our being, our character. Everything about us. Let your conversation, not just our talking, but our whole character, our whole behaviour. Let our behaviour, let your life, you could put in there, you could say. Let your life be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Be without covetousness. You know, that's not easy, is it? Be without covetousness. Why? Isn't covetousness the driving force of our society? Isn't the the desire to get, to be, to feel, to experience, to have, to acquire, to succeed, to win... Isn't that what drives us? Well, yes, but when it gets out of hand, it becomes covetousness. You know, it's not wrong to want. It's not wrong to have. It's not wrong to, you know, have possessions. But if the desire to get those possessions gets out of hand or gets over and above what is lawful, what is right according to the Scriptures then it's covetousness. Simple. It might even be acceptable by the laws of man. But if it's not acceptable to God, then it's covetousness. And I want to submit to you this morning that this, you know, when it says, let your conversation, your life be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have, you know, what do you, first, what do you first think when it says, and be content with such things as you have? Perhaps our first thought things goes to possessions, doesn't it? You sort of think of things as just, well, what I've got, you know. My car, my boat, my house, my... And you say, well, I'm young, Brother Robin. I don't have any of those things. Well, perhaps you live in one, though. You live in a house with your parents... You, uh, perhaps you don't have the house yet. Your dad owns it. And your dad says, well, yeah, I don't own it either. The bank does. I might own a little bit of it, a little portion of it, but the bank owns the rest or whatever. But you're blessed to be able to live in that house, right? You're blessed to have a roof over your head. You're blessed to have clothes on your back. They've been bought for you. You didn't buy them yourself. Somebody else bought them for you. You have them. You're blessed to have food in your mouth, you know, day by day. You're blessed to have three meals a day. Some places, many folks be blessed to say they get one meal a day. Many young children in our world today in, in 
countries like Yemen, lucky if they get a spoonful. And they're starving to death. Brethren, we have a lot to be thankful for when you just think about it a little bit like that, don't you? We have a lot to be thankful for. But brethren, I want to submit to you that things is not necessarily just talking about houses, lands, cars, boats, possessions, whatever it is, cricket bats if that's what you like or footballs or soccer balls or whatever it is that you like and you want, you know, you wish you had. Folks, it's more than just possessions. It's pennies. Well, pennies, pennies, possessions. Pennies is money. Well, you've got to have money to buy possessions, don't you? Well, some, if you begin to get covetous and you just ignore the fact of you have to earn the money to get it, you just go steal it. Well, that's wrong too, isn't it, you know? You steal to get it, it's not right. It's not the way to get it. But I want to submit to you there's more than pennies and possessions, it's also popularity. You think, well, you're getting off the track. No, no, you just think about it. Position, popularity, position, power. Think of that as a thing. We can covet after, can't we? Power. If only I had power, if only I was the Prime Minister of Australia, if only I was able to make decisions, if only I, you know, had the position, it'd be different here. Oh, that's covetousness, isn't it? Coveting that which you haven't got, it's not being given to you, not being enabled to you. Say, well, there's plenty around the place that have got it and they shouldn't have it. Maybe. But let me submit to you also that such things as ye have could also mean pleasures. Pleasures. So, possessions, pennies, popularity or power and all those things that go with that, you know. Prominence could go in there. And then pleasures. Four things that I reckon we could list in here. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. Such things. Four of them we've got this morning. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Let's dig into it a little bit. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Why this emphasis on covetousness? Well, covetousness was one of the, one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Thou shalt not covet is about the eighth commandment, I think. I haven't just got it written down here. But uh, it's one of the key commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Thou shalt not covet. And it lists it there. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's goods, thy neighbour's wife, you know, all of your neighbours. Anything that belongs to somebody else and you don't have it rightfully, don't covet it from your neighbour. And uh, going along with that, in Exodus 20, verse 3, it it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. So, brethren, this is the basis, this is the bedrock for what's written in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. 
We know the Lord Jesus as our Saviour. If you're here this morning and you know him as your Saviour, you've trusted him. You believe that he's died for your sins and, and the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you from your sin. You're here this morning and uh, uh, you know that this verse is for you, okay? This verse is for me. This verse is for all of us. It's not just to the unsaved, okay? In fact, it's not written to the unsaved. This is written to Hebrew believers, believers that had, had trusted Jesus as their saviour. They'd perhaps been scattered into other places other than Jerusalem and here the writer is speaking to them and he's saying to them, let your life now be without covetousness. Yes, you've trusted in Jesus, but let, let, let. And I'm staggered with this word let even here. You know, verse 1 says let brotherly love continue. You know, obviously it, it means... You know, when it says let, it, it obviously means that we've allowed it to become seared. That we've become covetous again. For it to be put in there to say, let now your conversation be without covetousness. How, how is this? Why do we do this? Just simply because the old man's still there. Our old nature is still part of us, you know. We're saved, yes, but we're not saved yet from the presence of sin and with, in, 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 and with the Lord Jesus as Trish now is. We're still here. We're still here. And even as blood-washed blood Christians, we can be covetous and we can allow the things of this, this life now to infiltrate our lives to where it pollutes us, where it pollutes our life and pollutes our witness and pollutes our standing with God. And so he says, he says, let your conversation, let your life be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. I just quoted to you Exodus 20 verse 3, which also, which is, is not the word verse, thou shalt not covet, that's verse 17. But in verse 3, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And verse 4, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Come with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Just flick back to it, hold your hand there in, in Hebrews. But Colossians chapter 3. Paul here is, uh, and this is particularly Paul, it says it's, says it's Paul wrote uh, Colossians, writing to the Colossian Christians. He said, you know, now that you're saved, if you're risen with Christ, he said in verse 1, seek those things which are above, because now you're saved, verse 5, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness. So he says, put covetous to death in your life, or mortify it means to put to death. Mortify it, put it to death. And then he explains and he says, which is idolatry? Which is idolatry? So couple that back in, in Exodus chapter 20 and you can see that, you know, verse 17 says, thou shalt not covet connects with verse 3 and 4, doesn't it? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
So covetousness can be idolatry. In fact, he says it is here. That's hard for us to grapple with. But I want us to sort of grapple with that this morning and to think about that. And, and brethren, please don't take this as a Robin's really having a go at me today. <laughs> I'm not, okay? I, I think probably the reason I'm preaching this is because God has dealt with me over this, all right? God has really dealt with me over this. He says, Robin, you think certain things. And okay, you might not do them, but you think them and you think them enough and think about certain things and you're actually being covetous. You're, you're being covetous, Robin. And he, and he brings me back to this verse in Hebrews and he says, you're actually an idolater. You're an idolater. He said, I died for that. I died for that. I shed my blood for you. That you could be stewing in a sota. You and I don't think about being idolaters, do we, in Australia? We say, we don't have any idols. Well, actually, we do. I was walking around somewhere the other day putting out um, tracks, I think, in, in Warner, and it's surprising how many idols we have, literal, like, graven things of Buddhas and stuff in gardens. Everywhere. You don't have to drive very far around here to see Buddhas around the place. You say, well, I don't worship that idol. No, okay, we don't. But if you worship a thought, a thing, you're an, I'm a, you're an idolater. And, and the Lord's pointed out, he says, Robin, you're an idolater. Don't just criticise the fellow that has a Buddha in his yard. Brethren, I'd get rid of the Buddha out of my yard if, if I bought that place. I'd, I've done it. I bought a place here a few years ago and there were Buddhas in the yard. I threw them in the bin, head first. Grabbed them by the head, threw them in the bin, broke them. But the Lord's saying, Robin, you need to do that with thoughts in your mind too that are idolatrous. You're thinking, overthinking towards something. You're over wanting something, over wanting money, over wanting uh, possessions. You're an idolater, Robin. Oh, Lord, I don't want that. I don't. Yeah, well, I'm just pointing it out to you. I'm just pointing it out to you. Okay, so let's look at these things a little bit more. Just a little bit, you know, just dig into it a little bit. Be content with such things as ye have. So, possessions, we understand, don't we? Possessions is easy sort of for us to conjure up in our mind things that we want, stuff like that, and just gathering together of stuff, stuff. And our society has become huge on just gathering stuff, hasn't it? Uh, our op shops are just inundated with stuff now that people want to get rid of because they bought more stuff. And the house can't fit it anymore. So we take this stuff to the op shop and get rid of it. And the op shop saying, can't take it anymore. Nobody can take it on. We just, so much stuff. Sold a house a few years ago and the fellow that bought it particularly wanted a shed on the block. And, uh, and he said to me, as, he, as we sort of handed it over to him, he said, he said, I needed a shed, he said. The boy with the most toys wins. I thought, really? <laughs> yeah, he just wanted to fill that shed with toys, you know. 
jet skis and you name it. The boy with the most toys wins. Brethren, it's not the case. For here we have no enduring city, but we seek one to come. Your toys could be washed away in the flood. Your toys could be swept away in the next fire that comes through. Brother Darrell came and saw me at our place the other day and we bought a place in the backside of Eaton's Hill and, and I like it, brethren. I really appreciate what God has given me for this time. Brother Darrell came in and he said, have you thought about fire coming through here? I said, yeah. And I've said to my wife, if fire's coming towards here, you just get out. Don't hang around. It'll burn. It'll burn real well. The whole place will explode. Gum trees just quite high and it'll just, it'll explode. Possessions could all go up in smoke in a matter of minutes. Possessions. Pennies. Oh, pennies is a big subject, isn't it? Money is a big subject. You know, John D. Rockefeller was asked one day, and John D. Rockefeller lived around the, you know, in the early 1900s, and he was, uh, he was the, the father of the Rockefeller empire. But he had more money, John D. Rockefeller had more money than Bill Gates has. And, uh, and what's the other Berkshire Hathaway fella? Um, uh, Warren Buffett? Rockefeller had more than both of them put together. He had 300 and I think it was about 80, 380 billion dollars. He had 1% of the US GDP. He had, uh, uh, he, he owned 92% of the oil stocks at the time in America. Huge. John D. Rockefeller was asked, Mr. Rockefeller, how many dollars is enough to have? Oh, he said, just a few more. Never enough, never content. The scriptures tells us, brethren, let your conversation be without covetous and be content. Be content with such pennies as you have, such money, such dollars as you have. For he has said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Pennies, if riches increase, the scripture says in Psalm 62 and verse 10, if riches increase, set not your heart upon them. The Lord may give you riches, may give you money for a time on this earth. He might, but he might not. But if they increase, the scriptures tell us, set not your heart upon them. You set your heart upon them and you want just a few more. Brethren, that's covetousness. That's simply covetousness. Popularity. Popularity, power, position, prominence. These are things that people lust after. And brethren, you and I, even as blood-bought, blood-washed Christians, we can, we can get to where we want just a little more power, just a little more prominence, just a little more position, just a little more popularity. I want you to come with me to Esther. Esther. Esther chapter 5. And I want us to look at a fellow who uh, had power, but he wanted just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Esther. If you get there before I do, then that's good. Just be patient with me. I will get there. Esther. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Esther, chapter 5. 
And we want to just look at the uh, life of Haman for a little bit. Now, Haman didn't know the Lord. Haman was a Babylonian who, but he had power. Haman had received, you know, privileges from the king. He'd even received great position. And have a look in verse 9. Then went Haman forth that day, joyful and with a glad heart. He'd just been with the king and he'd just been with the queen. Queen Esther was there and had put on a banquet of wine for a, uh, a time that day. And, and uh, the king had said to Esther, what do you wish, Queen Esther? And uh, if you know the story, Esther was just wanting her life. Because Haman, Haman had cooked up a plot because he didn't have enough power, that he wanted a bit more. And he wanted power over all of the Jews on the earth and particularly over one man whom he hated. And that man was Mordecai. Mordecai was Esther the queen's uncle. So Esther was actually pleading for her life, but that hadn't, been, hadn't come out at this point in the story. And Haman had just been with the queen and with with the king and and uh, he was joyful and had a glad heart and he went home uh, but look in verse 9 when Haman saw Mordecai now Mordecai is Esther's uncle Mordecai had raised Esther when he saw Mordecai in the king's gate that he stood not up nor moved for him he was full of indignation against Mordecai Nevertheless, Mordecai, uh, Haman refrained himself. When he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches. So he had pennies and heaps of it. And the multitude of his children, we know he had at least 10 sons because they were later on killed and hung because of Haman's sin. And all the things wherein the king had promoted him. Promotion is a thing. All the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. He had great power over the other servants, etc. He had great position. He'd had great promotions. He had great paternal influences with his sons and his daughters, I'm presuming, as well. He had great amount of pennies. But look what he said. Haman said, moreover, in verse 12, Yea, Esther the queen did let no man... Oh, can you see his puffed up chest? Oh, no man went in with the king to the queen's banquet except me. And tomorrow am I invited also unto unto her also with the king. Oh, and then his face went black. Yet all this availeth me nothing. So long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Well, Zeresh puffed him up and said, well, why don't you build a gallows, you know? Go to the king tomorrow and have him hung straight on it. Oh, yeah, that's what I'll do. (laughs) Ah, the things. 
that Haman desired. He desired more popularity, more power, more position, more prominence than he already had. And it was great covetousness. Now I know, I know Haman's not a, he wasn't a Christian in the first place and we've, you know, I, I understand that. And Hebrews is talking to us as Christians. But it's an example, isn't it? And it's an example for us. And on the flip side, we can see the example of Mordecai. Mordecai had earlier on, and we won't go and find it, but earlier on he discovered a plot against the king where two of the king's chamberlains, uh, Teresh and Bigthar, I think their names were, had desired to kill the king. And Mordecai heard about that and he sent, got message to the king and when inquisition or inquiry was made, it found out to be true, those two lost their life. Mordecai received no reward for it until now. That night, it says in chapter 6, the king could not sleep, verse 1, and commanded to bring the books of the records of the Chronicles and they were read before him. And he found out about this Mordecai I had had told of this big Thana and Teresh and, and uh, he said, well, what honour's been done, you know? He should have been honoured for that. He should have been popular because of that. He should have received promotion, a thing, right? But he didn't. Did Mordecai get all blown up about that? Did he get out of sorts because he didn't, hadn't got the promotion that he should have or got recognised, had received the prominence that he should have got? No, he didn't. He left it to God. And brethren, that's where we come back to and we've got to get to ourselves. I'm a child of God now. I know him as my saviour. He's bought me with his blood. If God gives me possessions, if God gives me pennies, that's great. But if he doesn't, that's great too. If he doesn't give me popularity and promotion when I think I ought to get it, that's great too. And Mordecai was that man. Mordecai was an example for us of greatness. He didn't get out of sorts when he didn't get that promotion that he should have got. He didn't get out of sorts when he didn't get that recognition, that popularity or that prominence or that, yeah, that uh, uh, position that he ought to have got back earlier. The king asked, he says, what honour has been done to Mordecai? No, there's been nothing done. Well, he said, something's got to be done. Who's in the court? Now, Haman happened to be there. Haman gets called in and the king said to him, what shall be done in verse 6 under the man whom the king delights to honour? Now, Haman thought in his heart, well, who who would the king delight to do honour to more than to uh, me? (laughs) Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delights to honour, so this is what he really wanted. He wanted to be paraded through the streets of of, uh, the capital, Shushan, in the king's royal apparel. Put him on a horse and let him be led through and let uh, it be be, uh, said as he goes, this is what the king wants to do and the king delights to honour someone. This is what will happen to you. Well, that's a good idea, the king says. Go do it to Mordecai. Whoa, poor Haman. The very thing that he wanted was given to someone he hated. 
Oh, what a backlash. And brethren, you know the end of the story. Mordecai gets promoted. Haman gets beheaded. Loses his life on his own gallows. Loses all that paternal influence over his sons because they get hung on it too later on. Oh, folks, God can turn the promotion to one and give it to another. God can turn the heart of the king. Brethren, you and I, let's learn to just rest in the fact that God can promote me if he wants, when he wants. He can give me pennies when he wants, if he wants. Now you say, Brother Robin, aren't I supposed to work for my pennies? Yeah, 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 that's right. That's how God give it to you. You know, he, um, we're not going to go there now, but Proverbs is full of good instruction about earning pennies and how to get them and not to lust after them and not to try and get them quick, you know. Uh, I don't just have them written before me, but uh, uh, in Proverbs it talks about, you know, hasting to be rich. Like, you know, quick, get rich, quick schemes and, and gambling and stuff like that. Well, don't do it. You know, God warns against us, he that hasteth to be rich shall not be innocent. Because you're actually in hasting to get that riches like that, you know, oh, if I just put down 20 bucks, I could get 20 million. Yeah, well, the, the odds is totally stacked against you for a start. And you're actually, it's a heart of lusting that you're wanting to do it in the first place. Just don't do it. Put the money in the bank or invest it in something lawful and let God increase it. He that gathereth by labour shall increase, it also says in Proverbs. So, labour. Well, do I just have to work? Yeah. Can I invest? Yeah, you can invest too. You're given some money and you're wise about how you can invest, you can invest it. God, Jesus never canned those that invested the money in the Gospels when he told the story of the talents. They were given five talents or ten talents and they doubled it. He, he blessed them for it, didn't he? It's not wrong to get possessions, not wrong to get pennies, but it's how you get them that's important. How you get them, how you increase them, whether God increases them for you properly or not. Whether you overextend to get them or whether you let God give it to you. All right, let's finish off with pleasure real quickly. Pleasure. You know, uh, pleasures are a thing that we search after and yearn for in this life. And you may or you may not have pleasures. I mean, we have just simple pleasures of life every day to be able to just get up. And for you, it might be pleasurable to look out the window and see the sun rise. And it's a wonderful pleasure. Might be a great pleasure to you just to go to the beach and have a swim. Well, that's good. But you and I know that pleasures can lead us away from God too, don't we? If we lust after pleasures out of season. Seek for pleasures that God has forbidden clearly in his scriptures. You know, our passage sort of talks briefly about it in a couple of verses there, but I'm not going to sort of dwell on them. We need to wind up. But uh, I want you just to think of, actually, let's go to Psalm chapter 16. 
and verse 11. Psalm 16 and verse 11, and then I've got one more passage to go to. Psalm 16 and verse 11. This is a great uh, passage about, uh, mentions the Lord Jesus here in, in uh, about verse 10. But Psalm 16 and verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand. There are pleasures forevermore, forevermore. Brethren, in just sort of finishing off and thinking about this, you know, pleasures are a thing of this life. But I want to submit to you that they are a thing that we ought to sort of, that need to be controlled in our life. That we don't just lust after, they can become a covetous thing. You can covet pleasure. How many people do you hear say, I just live for the weekend? And they work all week, earn a few pennies, and then just blow it away on the weekend on pleasures. Pleasures. We've all heard it. We've all heard people say it. And in fact, we might have done it ourselves before we got saved. We were like that. Brethren, the scriptures are warning us right now. Let your conversation... You're born again. You know the Lord Jesus as your saviour. You're blood bought, blood washed, child of God. You know that you're saved. But now let your conversation be without covetousness. In other words, strive. It's a battle. Brother Paul said earlier, it's a battle not to overextend ourselves for pleasures in this life. Brethren, if pleasures come our way, lawfully accept it from the hand of God. Enjoy it. But don't lust after it to where it leads you away from God, to where it becomes an idol, a Buddha in your backyard or in your bedroom. You get the picture? If God gives it to you lawfully, accept it, enjoy it. But if he doesn't, wait till the pleasure's in heaven at thy right hand. At God's right hand, the scriptures tell us there are pleasures forevermore. We'll rightfully have pleasures forever. Ever. Ever. We don't have to have them now. If God gives them to us now, fine. But if he doesn't, fine. I accept my lot from God. I'll be content with it. Timothy talks about being exercising ourselves under godliness. And he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. Oh, I wanted to finish off and I wanted to go to to, uh, Revelation and talk about the city that we look forward to. You know, verse 10 of, of, of Hebrews 11, I think it's verse 10, says, you know, for here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Brethren, if it's not a flood, if it's not a fire that comes and destroys our possessions, our pennies, our pleasures, our popularity, our position, all those things we've talked about on this, you know, on this earth, well, it could be round the corner, you know. 
But if we know Jesus as our saviour, we look forward to them in heaven forever. To an enduring city, a city which won't get swept away, won't get burnt, won't get decayed, won't get eaten by moth, won't get eaten by rust and, and white ants. Crying out loud, your, your house could be being chewed up by white ants right as you sit here. Oh, what a comforting thought. Thank you, Brother Robin. I saw something the other day, and I know I'm distracted and, and got off the track, but I saw a program the other day of a fella, elderly man, 80 not out, I'd say at least, maybe older, came home one night and a lightning bolt had struck through the top of his house, a two-storey house, and, and the, the house was on fire. And uh, there wasn't even a storm. A lightning bolt on a clear day. Who would believe? Brethren, we have no enduring city here, but we seek one to come. I would love to take you to Revelation and have a look at that enduring city just a little bit. Just have a little bit of a look at it to see how well God has made it and is making it now. And if we, we know him as our saviour, that's where we'll spend eternity with him forever and serving him, loving him, pleasures forevermore. Brethren, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your goodness to us and we thank you that we can just ponder your word and we can think about eternity and things to come. Help us, Lord, while we're still here. We're still here on this planet. We're still here in this place that is racked with all sorts of stuff going on, floods and fires and famines. And Lord, we're in the midst of a, our own personal battles and struggles and how do we make sense of all this at times? But Lord, help us to get a glimpse of our Lord Jesus, to just rest upon him and rest upon the promises of your word and just walk with you day by day. Father, we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.